you're a wizard, but you're a self <laughs> you're a self aware wizard, which is my favorite kind. Aware wizard. <laughs> uh, I only turn okay. into a wizard on the full moon, and you know. instead of like useful magic, I just shit all over movies. <laughs> That's fair. Everyone's got to have a thing. Hello, and welcome to Medium Salt, the podcast that would never, ever, ever use instant grits while we talk about nostalgia and 90s movies and how they have impacted us, how they can inform us about our growth as people. I am one of your hosts today, and I go by Matt, and I am joined by my very good friend, Webmaster, Kickaster, Mind Blaster, None Faster, Kate! Today, we are talking about the 1992 film My Cousin Vinny, starring Joe Pesci, Ralph Macchio, Marisa Tomei, and Fred Gwynn, directed by Jonathan Lynn. But first, 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 Kate, how are you? I'm not sure there's anything I could say that would follow that adequately. (laughs) (laughs) I'm great, great, great. And I'm really excited to talk about this movie because I have never seen it and I loved it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. This, I guess this would be like my version of Pretty Woman. Well, this I was, this was the film that I, <laughs> this was the film that I, I loved to catch on TV and watch a lot as a kid. Well, that um, explains a lot of the differences between you and I. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But besides that, is there any uh, is there anything else? Uh, any other Mia you want to gush about today? I have been watching. So I've been on a big cartoon kick lately because I think as actual reality feels grim, I am really enjoying leaning, really enjoying leaning into the absurdity of cartoons. And oh yeah. I have been watching uh, Gravity Falls. I've been rewatching it because my girlfriend has never seen it. And I'm like, ha well, let me just show you. And hey, that's great. If you've never watched Gravity Falls, it's a cartoon put out by Disney. It's on Hulu right now. And it's about these two siblings and all sorts of crazy shenanigans happens because they are spending summers with their great uncle. And I think we're supposed to believe it's the Pacific Northwest. And there's like supernatural things that happen, but it's just a really adorable cartoon. And one of the main characters, Mabel, I swear she could have been me as a kid. Um, She just, or I wish she was me as a kid. She's just so profoundly herself. And at some point she, like she wears these colorful sweaters that are different every day. And she's just, yeah, it's hard to describe. It's hard to describe the Mabelism, but she's fantastic. So. Yeah, I've I've seen a few episodes. Um, I was trying to see if it was something that my son would be into, but I think it, the, the a lot of the humor goes just a little over his head. He'll probably be there in like a year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it definitely has that like Pacific Northwest feel, like the mm-hmm. the, the just based on like the trees and the landscape and all that stuff. It's, it's there's very actually PNW. a character if you haven't watched that many episodes. There's actually a character that gets introduced whose name is Pacifica Northwest. That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, the entire cartoon is basically every episode is a satire for something else. Uh, They make a lot of fun of sci-fi tropes and just society at large. And so it's really 
it's really fun to watch as an adult as well as as a kid because there's plenty of goofy things that happen that are entertaining to kids but also it's just like pacific northwest that's a that's a joke that adults would laugh at (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, while still being very like a very simple silly family-friendly joke Right. Yeah, exactly. It's, like, it's not like the joke that's put in there for the adults. It's just a joke that an adult can appreciate because it's a silly pun. Right, exactly. And it's one of those shows that I really like where the characters grow on you over time and they're each given different arcs and story development, right? One of the characters that I think grows the most on you because at the beginning, he seems like he's a very one-dimensional character is Grunkle Stan. That's the great uncle that they're staying with, and he takes a little while. Yeah, Grunkle Stan, which also, this show taught me the word Grunkle, which I am delighted by. (laughs) Um... So, yeah, he's a, he's a basically a greedy shop owner, and that's what we're led to believe is all that he is at the beginning, and I won't ruin anything, so. But there's great character development. Yes. That's fantastic. And at the end of every episode, if you read the, uh, the credits, there's a secret code that you have to decode. Oh, yeah, I didn't catch and they that change. on a few episodes. They change oh. over time, and the de- the way that you decode them changes over time. So, like, they don't give you anything. You just kind of – I think there are supposed to be hints within the episode sometimes. Okay. I actually haven't gone through and solved all of them. That's cool. I'm sure so. there's a wiki for the lazy. No. <laughs> no one has ever published yeah. any of the answers. Don't go looking. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. I love uh animation as a medium is is just great. There's a lot of things just possible in animation that I really appreciate. And it has its own history and storytelling convention. Mm-hmm. Um which makes, you know, some things a little weird, like when they try to adapt a cart an animated thing into a live action thing. Like Netflix's Cowboy Bebop. I was just going to say, oh no, Matt's going to talk about Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> yeah. I watched, so I've only watched the first episode and it was, I don't, I don't have that much time these days, right? Like I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a stay at home dad. So I've, I've got, you know, got my son around a lot and I'm working on this podcast and, and the little free time I have. And then I also enjoy like playing some games. So I have to like budget my time and what I watch and stuff. So something that's just like mediocre just isn't going to cut it mm-hmm. unless I'm doing it for the show. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's okay by surprise. <laughs> um, we only watch bad media if it's for a reason. Yeah. So I watched, I watched the first episode of Cowboy Bebop. And so based on how I couched that, you can probably tell where I'm going with this. I'm thinking it's it wasn't very, great, Matt. Was it great? It was not. It was close. Like there were there were parts of it that was like, oh man, this is almost entertaining. Like I think they were afraid to be too different mm. from the from the, the original anime. Mm-hmm. And it's like if you're gonna adapt something to a new format, like you should like, you know, adapt it, make it a little different, especially since like when you're adapting a book. It's a com- like it's all, it's different enough that you kind of want to stay close to the source material or at least do mm-hmm. like the core of the source material justice. I think a good example of that would be like Fight Club. I was just going to say that. Yeah. So what's interesting is Palinuk thinks that the movie is better than the book. And I can't remember who did the movie, do, uh, but whoever did the movie thinks the book's better. So they're just both simultaneously in love with the other person's creation <laughs> or interpretation of their own yeah. creation. And I'm like, this is such yeah. that's the perfect 
That's the perfect example. Yeah. And I, yeah, because the movie stays so true to the core of what the book was about, mm -hmm. even if they changed a lot of things about the book. Mm -hmm. um, the message and the feeling and the tone yeah. come across. Yeah. Even if idiots take the wrong ideas from it. Yeah. Maybe we should do Fight Club. We probably should at some point. There's a lot to say about that movie. I feel like doing Chuck Palahniuk is just not, like, that's like, yeah. it's not cheating. It's just sort of, it would be completely missing the point because. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like he's misunderstood a lot. Being salty, I guess, or, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. But so with Cowboy Bebop, it just felt like they were too afraid. They, they, what they really should have done, given the production values that they had to work with, I really wish they had leaned into the cheese and mm -hmm. just been like this cheesy, like campy mess of just a fun, almost, almost a, like a like a satire of the anime. I think that would have been different enough Maybe and like entertaining enough to make it worth watching. Kind of like kick-ass where it's like yeah. satirizing the superhero genre. Something it's a little like, cheesy. Yeah. Something like that, but more just like it's hard. Cause you're satire. Like you're, you're paying homage to an animated series that the whole series was an homage to a, like a whole menagerie of different, <laughs> genres and tropes and so like it's almost like a xerox of a xerox right, right. Like you're, you're just watering it down so it would have been nice if they had just taken a fresh take on it done something different mm -hmm. the other thing that really bothered me about it is it seemed like it completely ignored like the history of animation and like the things that that brought to how cowboy bebop told its message mm. and like and i looked into it and the editor has done a lot of really good stuff He's dependable. He's reliable. He's like one of those, like, it seems like my own layman interpretation is it seems like he's a guy that you, the studios go to because they know he's going to put out consistent work. I'm not a big fan of the way Cowboy Bebop was edited. I kind of really wish they had gone with somebody who maybe had a history in animation so they could bring a lot of those, like, conventions to mm -hmm. the live action screen and, and done something fun with that. Right. But ultimately, it was just like it was close to being entertaining. The casting was eh, like some of the characters, some like Faye was great. Jet, I felt like just didn't work for me at all. How is Ayn? Because I honestly think the way they could see the whole series is just telling everything from his perspective. Well, that would have been more interesting. I didn't. The, so the first episode mirrors the first episode of the, anim, the anime. So it's, it's not Ayn yet. I've only seen ah. the first episode. For anyone and who doesn't know about Cowboy Bebop, Ayn is a corgi. Best yes. character in the whole show. <laughs> Faye is good. Jets didn't do it for me. Um, with Spike being somewhere in the middle. Like, there were scenes where he was great, and there were scenes where I was like, eh, I don't need to watch this. And the weird thing was, is they had Faye in the first episode. She comes in later in the show, right? Yeah, she didn't come in until a little later in the anime. I get why they did that. It was probably a good choice to make, because honestly, the... The, the actress who plays Faye, I expected to hate it, um, but I found her very entertaining and very charming. That's good. And, and ultimately, say, it just wasn't good enough for me to keep watching. I was like, eh, yeah. I've seen one. I'm done. Also, Vicious looks, he looks so stupid. He looks so <laughs> ridiculous. I think the movie that I have seen that goes from animation to reality that, so if they were trying to, as you say, not deviate from the original at all, the movie mm. that I think does that the best for me is Watchmen, mm. because in the in the in the live action Watchmen, admittedly the book it like the the graphic novel itself is very 
realistic and it's very, an, you know, American animation sort of gritty thing. But well, Which is actual, interesting because it was written by a British dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess just the different animation styles, right? Less prone to crazy exaggerations like in Japanese mm-hmm. animation. Um, yeah. And exaggerated responses and things like that. But yeah, like they're, they're direct frames you can take from the graphic novel and overlay the movie and it's just perfect i mean um i think a lot of people didn't like that film i did i liked it i thought it worked oh as i really a, as liked an adaptation it. um you know i, mean, I liked that the changes they made were appropriate and i'm yeah, not, I'm they not cut even out really the, a big uh, Zack snyder fan but like the, i think that worked they cut out the weird pirate <laughs> Inter yeah. inter scenes. Well, at least in the movie, they actually. Uh, I actually um, know some guys who worked on the. Um, they did. They did a DVD that was like a motion comic of the oh. of the Black Frigate. I know some guys who worked on that. That's cool. Yeah, um, and then I mean they, they changed the end, but the point was still the same, right? So. It mm-hmm. wasn't some Cthulian horror. It was actually. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Man. But the point was the same in that, you know, you're doing this huge evil thing in order to yeah. Yeah. pull people together. I actually find Ozymandias to be a really interesting, dangerous character. So. Oh yeah, for sure. He had a presence, right? So. Yeah. And it, it represents this thing that exists in humanity where you, you know, the end, he is the embodiment of the ends justify the means, right? I'm a person who doesn't necessarily believe that people are intrinsically evil, but I think that a lot of evil things can be done under the guise of doing something for the greater good. And I think that's one of the more dangerous aspects of humanity. So, Mm. but anyway, so (laughs) my cousin Vinny, my cousin Vinny (laughs) is great. Flawless. Flawless. (laughs) Yes. We are so good at the segues. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So my cousin Vinny is fantastic. No salt. See you next week. Okay, bye. Bye. Okay, no, really. Let's let's talk about my cousin Vinny. Okay. Um, I'm going to let you take the reins since this was your pick, but I have a okay. lot to say. Maybe not a lot, yeah. but I've got some fun facts and stuff that I looked up because this movie was so great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like my relationship with this film, because I would always catch it like on cable. Ah, uh, so, cable. So like if it was on, like I would I would watch it because it was always entertaining. As a kid, I loved it. And I turns out I had never actually seen the beginning of this film. <laughs> I have seen the movie like several dozen times in my lifetime, and I had never seen the beginning of the film. I feel like we need a name for this phenomenon, which involves cable. Maybe it'll be called yeah. Time Warnerism or something. Right. I've heard of it because, yeah, people that's happened to people before. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're like, ah, yes, I love the second or I love the last two thirds of this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love the film. I've never seen the beginning um, until this time. Aaron, he loves consuming massive amounts of YouTube videos about random things. One of the things that he saw recently was a critique of Tangled, the Disney movie, which Mm -hmm. basically says if you skip the entire exposition part at the beginning and you just start at the uh, at the uh, 
what is it called when they flash the name? Bas- oh, the title screen. If you just start at the title screen, the movie is much better. And oh, okay. I did it, and it is. So anyone uh, who wants to watch Tangled, yeah. seriously, just skip What's that, that entire essay by uh, CJ the X. I think I've seen that. I don't know, but He's probably like one of my favorite YouTubers right now. Yeah, CJ um, the X is amazing. I. Yeah. I aspire to that level of energy, but I don't think that there's enough cocaine in the world. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, back to anyway, your thing. Back to you haven't my seen the beginning. Thing. So what did you think the about beginning. the beginning? Well, so having not seen the beginning, it actually changed a way I thought about the film as a child. I, I thought, like for me watching it, since I'd never seen the beginning, the guilt or innocence of... Vinny's cousins was, uh, or cousin and his friend, um, was ambiguous to me. So I thought like, so it wasn't until the end where it was like, oh, they are innocent. You know, it's like, which to me added an interesting element of, of a little bit of drama to the film where like Mm -hmm. Vinny obviously believes his cousin. Yeah. Which actually is really nice. Like he never even asks, right? Like so many of the movies like this where someone is brought in. They always feel like, well, I have to ask, right? Like, there's always mm-hmm. that scene. Did you do it when no cops yeah. are around or whatever? But, you know, and this movie didn't happen. Like, it is just taken as a fact that there is no yeah. way that any sweet cousin Bill yeah. <laughs> would ever have done this. No. And, he, you and know, he's not going to he's not gonna disappoint his ma. Yeah. So. And, the, and, of course, like, they, the movie does establish that. Vinny is sharp enough. He would have he figured that out in a minute. Oh, yeah. You know? And probably just been like, all right, sorry, kid. You're going to prison. <laughs> <laughs> so n- having seen the beginning this time, I was like, oh, okay, it's completely unambiguous. Like it's not even like a like a like a clever edit or anything. Like it's no. just completely unambiguous that they were innocent the whole time, which makes the movie just more fun. Yeah. So the whole tuna scene, just uh, like the they did it a couple of times with weird misunderstandings that go on for a really long time, which I thought was really interesting. It was a really interesting mm-hmm. choice. One of them I was not a huge fan of, but of the tuna one was hilarious. Like, yeah, that was good. That was good. <laughs> the fact that they think, okay, so I guess if you haven't seen this movie, it opens on these two yeah. kids from New York who are driving across the country because they got accepted into college in California, and they stop at this little like gas station slash grocery store, which is actually a real chain. It's like the Soap and Shack or something. It's actually a real chain in Georgia. Sacks. Sack of suds. There you go. Um, and they like load their hands full of all this stuff and they go to pay. But one of the characters got a can of tuna and put it in his pocket because he didn't have any more room in his hands. And then he forgets until he's in the car and he pulls it out and he's like, oh, no, I stole like this two dollar can of tuna. And the other character's like, oh, my God, how could you have done this? <laughs> the laws are archaic yeah. in Alabama, you know, yeah. and of course. Uh, hilarity ensues because yeah. I guess the misunderstanding about lots of things yeah. that we'll get to. Right. All right. So, uh, yeah. So like we were saying just now, um, for those of you who haven't seen it, we'll just go ahead and read the back of the, the box of, uh, my cousin Vinny. I got the Blu-ray from the local public library. Big fan of those. <laughs> <laughs> Marissa Tomei won an Oscar. For her hilarious turn as the car-savvy fish-out-of-water in this must-own comedy. When Bill and Stan, Ralph Macchio and Mitchell Whitfield, 
are mistakenly accused of murder on a trip through Alabama. They recruit Bill's cousin Vinny, Oscar winner Joe Pesci, a New York lawyer who's never gone to trial, to represent them before the formidable judge Holler, played by Fred Gwynn. Will justice follow Vinny and his girlfriend, Tomei, south when they try to save the day? It's the most hilarious culture clash ever when they hit the road in this tried-and-true favorite. That is the worst back-of-box copy I've ever read. Yeah, it's terrible, especially that's considering... Hard to re- that's hard to understand when you read it out loud. <sighs> it also misses some of the points, I guess. Yeah. Marissa Tomei is his fiance, not his girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we could probably have a whole podcast episode about the difference between an ad- the advertising for a, a, a film and an actual film, because we've all been burned. So. Mm-hmm. Marissa Tomei yeah. is so amazing in this movie. Oh, my goodness. This is her breakout role. Actually. Yeah, she won, she won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. Best Supporting think, Actress. And TV of course, Movie Award, too. <laughs> it was such a good breakout role for her and such a, an upset, I guess, that... Mm-hmm rumors like surrounded her for years and years afterwards that the Oscar wasn't really meant to go to her. And there was this huge cover up because she was going up against a bunch of other very, um, more successful actresses established. That's what I was looking for actresses in the same role. Uh, but she's, she's amazing. She's so charming. She She plays the character so well. She really does. She makes the the studio wanted to cut her character out entirely. Did you know that? That would have been that would have been incredibly unintelligent. She's literally the best part, is yeah. what the screenwriter said. But the film doesn't work at all without her. It no. doesn't work at all. That end part where she saves the day, they wanted to give all those lines to Vinny. Yeah, so, no. Yeah. Mm-mm, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> no. I mean, Vinny's a cool character, too. Yeah. So Her, her on-screen, on-screen chemistry with Joe Pesci. Um, just really works. Like, yeah, so and you know good. what? Their relationship is so interesting, and you don't. I guess we'll just talk about it, right? Like that's what yeah. we're doing. I was like, we can talk about it later, but at some point later is now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So one of the things that's interesting that the screenwriter said was that he wanted to um, subvert some of those common tropes one of which was the nagging girlfriend trope, Mm -hmm. right? And so there are times where they have conflict, but to me at least, it never comes across as one person's needs. Well, I guess Vinny does kind of override her, but she even admits it was a bad time to bring it up. But like they've been dating for a really long time and she clearly wants to get married, but she's still supportive and it seems like they really love each other and enjoy each other's mm-hmm. company and have a really good dynamic, which is not something that a lot of movies are able to establish or convey well, right? Like a lot yeah. of times you have to suspend your disbelief and just be like, all right, these two people love each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I know they just met yesterday, but no, the love yeah. is real. Yeah. Right? Which is, which is a huge success of both the, the acting in this film and the writing. And yes. like just the, like scene choice and, and the interactions they choose to have um, yeah. just really works. Subtly, right? Like they yeah. every every night they're sleeping in these terrible hotels, which is one of the the gimmick like the the recurring jokes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is you know, they're down in this Alabama town and they 
are trying to find a hotel to sleep in. And the first night there's like a steam whistle that goes off at four 30 mm-hmm. in the morning to wake people up. And so they move to a different hotel and there's a train and they move to a different hotel and there's, Oh, then they go to a cabin out in the woods and there is the cutest screech owl that lives outside the house. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, through all of this, when they're sleeping, they're cuddling, right? Like they have a whole bed. Half of the bed is empty because Marissa Tomei and Vinny are snuggling. And I'm like, oh, in in an actual human way and not in a we're celebrities and Mm -hmm. we just had sex under these perfectly pressed sheets sort of way. (laughs) Yeah, no. So, like, we can, let's just start. We can start going through the film, and we establish some some really. The, we open the film on a country road. It sets the scene perfectly. Um, the film takes place in Alabama, but it was actually filmed in Georgia, so it looks like Georgia. But you got these like country roads, this two lane kind of highway situation. We're following uh, the car, which has the, key, the 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 younger cousins in it, Ralph Macchio and Mitchell Whitfield. And they're like that. You see very clearly, like a UCLA college handbook and all this mm-hmm. college stuff. It's very efficient communicating what the deal is with these characters. Mm-hmm. They stop at the Saka Suds um, to pick up some some groceries, and they're arguing about price of stuff. So you you know, there's a lot of character information being conveyed right away. Yeah, they're looking for the cheapest can of something by by the scent, right? Like yeah. they're like, ah, this is thirty three cents. Ah, this is thirty one yeah. cents. <laughs> And it's kind of starts with like the city boy is kind of gawking at all the country bumpkins, you know, mm-hmm. they're like, they're like staring and pointing at everybody and oh my gosh, look at how they live out here. And like, I think there was a Confederate flag in one of the, <laughs> one of the out- establishing shots, but it's like, you know, it's there and it's gone, but it's also like 1992. Yeah. And that would never happen today. No. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> right. I can't, I can't go to just a couple streets down and see one hanging outside someone's house. But they're broke, they're broke kids getting cheap food. They, they don't even like have a basket or a bag or anything. They're just like piling it all in their hands. And um, Ralph Macchio's character, uh, Bill, is trying, he puts a can of tuna in his pocket to help with carrying all the stuff. And uh, they leave. He forgot to pay for the tuna. Yeah, they pay for everything else, right? It's like a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's like $20, $22.76 or so, $21.76 yeah, stuff. Yeah, which... In 1992 money, I guess, bought you a handful of canned goods at a gas station. So Yeah. And then, so they, they drive off and they get pulled over and they, they think it's for the tuna. Mm-hmm. Turns out that the, uh, the shopkeeper at the, the sack of suds had been murdered sometime after, like shortly after they had left. And so they think that they're getting booked for tuna. They're actually getting booked for murder, leading to all sorts of fun shenanigans at the police office. Yeah, it's interesting because like it sounds like he confesses because they go through this whole thing and he's talking to the sheriff and the sheriff is asking him questions and he's cooperating because he's like, I'm sorry, it was just a can of tuna. I can, you know, we can take care of it. I'll I'll cooperate. He's trying to do his best to um, get out of this as Mm -hmm. easily as possible, this small thing that he thinks happened. Mm -hmm. But instead, he's implicating himself in this much greater crime. (laughs) And at some point... The sheriff goes, yeah, you shot the clerk. And he goes, I shot the clerk, but with a questioning sort of tone. And then he says it again. And that's used later against him as a confession in court. And I'm like, oh, that sucks. Yep. First, the first rule of this film, don't talk to cops. (laughs) ACAP, assigned cop at birth. (laughs) Don't, Don't talk to cops. Use your right to remain silent. Yeah. Seriously. Use your right to remain silent. Stuff goes down, they get booked. 
and he uh uh Machio is like oh oh it turns out I've got a lawyer in the family they call up Vinny so then we have our yeah. nice introduction scene with Vinny which establishes yeah. him and Marissa Tomei just like excellently Although, and I'm gonna keep saying Marissa Tomei but the character's name is Mona Lisa Vito Vito yeah which is yeah. also amazing yeah. the prison that they um that they are sent to was real. They shot those scenes in a real prison and the sounds in the background are real prisoners. They actually had to tone it down for the movie because the prisoners yeah. were shouting such horrible things. Yeah, so, I can see that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And the characters were legitimately scared because <laughs> they actually like <laughs> got handed their blankets and had to walk down. And yeah, that's horrifying. We get introduced to Vinny and the music here is wild. The whole mu- the music in this whole film is just so painfully 90s. <laughs> like it, it's full of like really heavy synth instruments. Like it's so so nineties. The, the music here is absolutely wild. Kind of like Joe Pesci's rap album. Joe Pesci has a rap album. Yes, and well, it's he's returning to his character from this film. What? Yes. So this is the second time we see. Um. Vinny uh, Gambini. It is for Joe Pesci released an album in 1998. On it's not actually a rap album, but there's some there's a rap on it. Oh, I was hoping called, it was sort of a Will Smith scenario where he's like respect your parents. Oh no, it's 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 sillier. It's oh. sillier. Uh, check out Joe Pesci, wise guy, because oh, you're no. listening to a 55 year old. Italian American pretend to be a wise guy and like do do rap. Wow. It's it's something else. <laughs> I'm gonna have to listen to that. Oh, I'll, Maybe I'll send have to you play a, link. a clip of it's, it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's something else. So and and in it he's 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 supposed to be his character in my cousin Vinny. Wow. The first two the first song and the last two songs on the album are Yo Cousin Vinny. Wow. So I'm guessing the last two are remade. I didn't listen to the whole album. I, I, you know, we talked about how limited my time was. So, <laughs> yep. Uh, um, <laughs> although I don't know, the music in this film is wild. Joe Pesci's music is wild. I half expected to find out that Joe Pesci did the music in this film. <laughs> so I don't know. I never knew a, a, a lot about Joe Pesci. So as soon as he came on the screen, I was like, Ah, the guy from Home Alone. <laughs> ah. See, I see it. I think the guy from Goodfellas. Oh, yeah. See, completely. I've never seen Goodfellas. So, oh, that's another one we should probably do. Oh, I'm going to let you pick it. Yeah. Yeah, He comes out rusty red coupe, cowboy boots, but not southern looking. They, oh, God, no, no. He's he's in like black leather jacket (laughs) and like his his belt is like tied around his waist. Yeah. In a knot. I have to say, I love all of Marissa Tomei's choices for fashion in this movie. Oh, She's the costume in... designer in this film? <sighs> Fucking nailed, nailed it. it. Wardrobe just kicked ass on this film. Gorgeous. Yeah, she has all of these amazing, shiny, like, bodysuits, and her hair's always done. Like, you see her and you're immediate, you, like, immediately know, what a cool-ass person. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all, like, it's, like, a lot of sharp edges and angles. There's a lot of like character information mm-hmm. in the wardrobe design here. Yeah, she's not trying to blend in. Like, no, 
Vinny was saying, oh, I'm wearing these cowboy boots because I'm trying to blend in. Marissa Tomei does not even bother. She doesn't even wear. She's like, yeah, like you're going to blend in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Nice blending. And I love this moment where we're introduced to both these characters and they're arguing about the mud in the tires Mm -hmm. because we have a lot of information about them and they're kind of like back and forth and kind of having a snippy little snippy little exchange because that's just their relationship yeah and then a third guy comes along and he's like well it looks like you got mud in your tires and like both of them turn on him and they're like <laughs> i never fucking heard of that in my life you ever heard of that no nah, i never heard of that and it's like amazing because it tells you so much about these two and their relationship mm-hmm. like they're snippy at each other but it's them versus the world yeah absolutely no one fucks with them as a unit And it's such a cool character moment. And he also is immediately like, yeah, she knows everything about cars. Like, if Mm -hmm. she says it's not a thing, it's not a thing. (laughs) I think that that's a really important character establishment, too, because especially the fact that, A, we have established. Oh, not yet. Sorry. Um, But she's a female character who looks like she's very high femme. Right. She has her nails mm-hmm. done. She she looks like a Jersey girl. Right. She has very big mm-hmm. hair. Though she's playing from the Bronx in this one. Yeah. Yeah. She's got that Bronx accent. <laughs> that's true. Which could be confused uh, for a Jersey accent. So that's fair. Well, and apparently the uh, screenwriter drew, drew inspiration for her from bumping into some Jersey girls in France when he was traveling <laughs> there. And okay, he saw them unique. all, yeah, he saw them all swimming and they were all still wearing earrings and jewelry and they were all just still themselves, but swimming. Mm. And he, apparently it just stuck with him. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, she's a great character. So she, she's not, <laughs> she's not pigeonholed into being one thing. So it is established that she is a car expert. He defers to her about car mm-hmm. things, even though he is a man. Which is a huge thing. Well, he's a man and he works as a mechanic. Yeah. We don't know that yet, but we do know that we do know that later. He works as a mechanic at her father's garage, Mm -hmm. but she knows everything about cars. And he's like, yeah. And he's proud about it too. Right. He's like, yeah, yeah. she knows everything about cars. It's just really nice to see, Yeah, you know, like other people may question her abilities and they do later, but he's like, nah, (laughs) she knows everything. (laughs) Yeah. So kind of the next scene is kind of like one of the most kind of problematic. I don't I don't like this scene. It's a funny scene in a way, but it's like it's about things that maybe Yeah, they yeah. take it too far and it's not it's not as funny enough to warrant its inclusion in this film. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely like a marker of the times cuz what happens is Vinny shows up to the jail, the state right. for the state penitentiary to talk to uh, Bill and Stan. Stan's never met Vinny. Right. And Bill is it's, asleep. Bill's asleep. So he shows up. I feel and- like we should take a pause right now and talk sure. about how horrible prison rape is, because this is what we're getting into. Right. Yeah. Well, I want to make, uh, I think we should talk about why it's relevant and then we'll we can okay. maybe talk and about it. And then we'll take our aside. I demand yeah. an aside, but yes, let's continue. <laughs> yes. I, th- I think it's important to make an aside about this because this is probably the m- most problematic moment in the movie. And it's a theme throughout the '90s too, and even today yeah. you'll still you'll still hear this. And anyway, let's let's continue. So Vinny shows up, and Stan doesn't know who Vinny is. He thinks like Vinny's some like prison tough 
there to sexually assault him. So there's like this comedic back and forth where like Vinny, there's a miscommunication. Vinny is talking about one thing. Stan's talking about another. And like Vinny's like, you know, I'm here to take care of you. And Stan's like, but I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want this. And he's like, well, you know, you're, you're kind of in it and you're getting fucked one way or the other. Ha <laughs> ha. <You laughs> Either know? they're going to fuck you or I am. Yeah. But he's and so, talking from a very Bronx rough language sort of yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that comedic kind of like back and forth and like, then it's cleared up later, but like. It's played for laughs, it's played for funny, but it's like, you know, prison rape. Yeah. Eh. It was uncomfortable. I also feel like it goes on too long, because he's legitimately scared. Yeah, Yeah, it's a long scene. He's scared. They don't do it just like once or twice. They, like... Oh, the joke goes on, and it's the same joke. It's like like watching an SNL skit. It goes on way too long. Yeah, and you're like, all right, we get... Okay, we get... Okay, you can stop... Yeah. yeah. A common a common joke, especially in 90s films, before that too, you know, even when they first show up at prison, they're like, you know what they do to guys here? Yep. They got a big guy named Bubba, and he protects you, but first he's like, you know, he fucks you. Okay. Rape is never okay, right? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what genitalia you were born with or what genitalia you have now. You should never, like, any sort of thing that's physical that is done to you against your consent is wrong. The fact that we have such prevalent prison rape statistics, or such prevalent prison rape in American prisons, uh, an organization and or system that is already so deeply problematic and largely for profit and completely fucking disgusting is... Horrible, right? So do Mm -hmm. not laugh at prison rape jokes because these are real people. You could be arrested for having pot on you and being black, and then you could spend 10 years in prison suffering from sexual assault. There's nothing funny about it. There's nothing funny about dropping the soap jokes. Mm -hmm. I think one of the best movies that actually displays the horror of prison rape is uh, The Shawshank Redemption. Oh, yeah. There's that scene where Andy Dufresne is finally cornered because they are, I mean, he's a, he's a somewhat petite man, I guess, comparatively. And he doesn't ever find a a place to fit in because he's, he's sort of an, a quiet intellectual and immediately other groups, like the main group takes a, a hating to him, I guess. And at some point he gets cornered and very violently assaulted. And that's, yeah, like the, this is not, it's not fun, right? No. It's not funny no. that this and happens to anybody. That, and it's and it's an archaic mindset that allows it to keep going on. This idea of like punitive um, incarceration, right? Uh, punitive justice. Uh, it's just it's horrible. It's weird. It's weird, yeah. and and it's I don't I don't feel like it's an enlightened way to to think about these things. I think a restorative system would be much better. It lacks insight about itself, right? So we're told we send people to prison to be reformed, right? That's sort of what we're supposed to believe, I think, yeah. <laughs> right? right? Well, that's what they tell you to believe. And then everyone's laughing about rape jokes. And it's like, there's nothing yeah. that's reforming about so, that. There's nothing reforming about sexual assault. That's pure punitive. That's pure revenge. Yeah, like, exactly. Venge- like, revenge is injustice. It's not. Like, and... If our goal is to make people better citizens and versions of themselves and to and to correct the things, to, these correctional facilities, quote unquote, to correct the things that have been, I don't even fucking know where to start, that have been 
happening to these people, this is not the way to do it, right? Like, I know a lot of people make fun of the Scandinavian countries for their prison systems, but honestly, their apartments are nicer than my first one, right? Like, they live in, they live in, like, because their actual goal and their actions towards it are the same. If you, if you acknowledge that the reason that these things happen, crime does not happen because people are inherently bad, Crime happens because of systems, and, and you. Um, I would say a majority of crime happens because of systems. I, I would think say yes. Yeah, like I think there's there's always going to be people who do bad things for bad reasons, but that's not a good excuse for sexual assault. Correct. I struggle with this a lot back and forth. I've I mm. have worked in like the foster care system, for example, and heard horrific stories about things that like parents have done or allowed to do. And almost basically every time it's a cycle, it's a cycle of poverty. It's a cycle of trauma. It's a cycle of abuse. And it's so, yes, there are definitely going to be some people who like, for example, sociopaths, which are not as common as you think, but nonetheless people who literally just cannot empathize. And so it's very difficult for them to, Um, if they, if they have the wrong triggers and the wrong, you know, early teachings or whatever, they'll just never understand why hurting people is bad. But even the majority of sociopaths function and are not harmful. I just think it's so disingenuous to think that these things happen on an individual level and to vilify people who had no other choice or people who are literally just, there's this, there's this interesting moral righteousness that people have about people who are in prison that mm-hmm. just lacks such that lacks empathy or even any grain of understanding right mm-hmm. they expect other people in completely different situations and completely different cultures and completely different resource pools to have and display their own morality which is ridiculous that's not how anything happens it would be like us trying to you know, us wanting Martians to follow the same sex laws we do, right? Like it doesn't make mm. any sense. It, and then we punish them for it, and we feel good about ourselves, right? Ah, that yeah. insert. But it actually here. helps no one. Yeah, it helps no one. It doesn't. Like recidivism rates are horrible. The death penalty, which is something that comes up in this movie, right? Like one of the things mm-hmm. that they're worried about is that these two kids are going to be executed. They even are making some sort of joke about how the last execution that they did didn't go well and it took too long or something Yeah, in the movie. Yeah. The death penalty does nothing to discourage crime. Statistically, it does not work. Not only does it not work, it is way more expensive than life in prison. Yeah. Life incarceration is much cheaper than, than an execution. mm -hmm. Um, I think, I think a lot of people find that counterintuitive you have to pay for all the appeals because you get a lot of appeals there's a lot of process that goes into that it would Mm -hmm. be cheaper just to not do it yeah but to your point our system is punitive whether or not we try to say it's reformative it's not there's nothing reformative about it it is purely revenge and a lot of times it's revenge for what you know like we have people getting sentenced to longer jail or prison sentences for marijuana possession than rape like it doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense it doesn't do its job and largely it's to earn money for people who are abusing the system and exploiting yep uh, 
a free labor force, essentially. But we can talk about that for days, and we're not going to. <laughs> no, because we're here to talk about my cousin Vinny, and they made they made a very dated prison rape joke that sh- wasn't really even funny at the time, but due to the cultural zeitgeist, that kind of joke was a little bit more acceptable. I feel like the joke here almost works just because the joke is the misunderstanding not necessarily the the point of the joke isn't the assault itself it's the misunderstanding between the two characters correct which is why i still kind of laughed i chuckled at it a little but i i really also felt kind of icky at the very <laughs> very beginning i was like oh wait he's confused and then i was like oh my god fucking stop this right yeah, now <laughs> yeah that, that's that's the joke could have ended a lot earlier and i think I think maybe Joe Pesci was having a little bit much, too much fun with that <laughs> scene. Because <laughs> that, that, that laugh he does at the end where he goes, you know, you're getting fucked one way or the other, mm-hmm. um, either by them or by me. Um, that laugh felt like a break of character. It didn't feel like something that Vinny <laughs> would have done. It felt like, huh? Because they cut it short and they immediately cut to another, a wider angle. Uh-huh. That's um, hilarious. Yeah. I don't know. It just felt like I've, I've edited my fair share of stuff and that felt... A little like they were trying to lessen that. All right, all right buddy. <laughs> so Vinny, so finally they all meet each other, and we find out that Vinny is a personal injury lawyer. He's only had uh, he's only he's only had passed the bar uh, f- like for six weeks. Like he's only been a lawyer for six weeks, uh, and he failed the bar six times mm-hmm. before finally, or the sixth time he passed it. So he failed it five times. He's never been to trial. Yeah, never been to trial. And then he goes to the judge to get permission to practice law in Alabama, mm-hmm. where he just lies his ass off the whole time. Yeah. I've been practicing for 16 years. I've defended so many murderers. <laughs> <laughs> you win some, you lose some. And uh, meeting Fred Gwynn's judge, Holler, uh, was just amazing. Oh, he's the perfect person for this. He's so perfect. This was one of his last roles. I think it was like his second to last role and his last time on screen before wow. passing. He That's was trying cool. for a long time to get out of the the Herman Munster mm-hmm. uh, role, right? Like he was only getting typecast as that type of character. Mm-hmm. And that's a real shame because I think he knocked it out of the park in his role as the judge here. He was and perfect. It, yeah. His, and his chemistry with Pesci was great. I loved every scene he was in. He's another example of subverting expectations because one of the tropes that screenwriter was also trying to subvert was the rural redneck, stupid Mm -hmm. population. Right. So like he has a, he's very clearly Southern and he has a Southern sort of mentality, but he went to fucking Yale law school, right? Like he did that on purpose. He's a very intelligent man who just happens to live in the South and believe yep. very firmly in this whole Southern thing. So. Yeah. And, and he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because he expects the city boy to be um, disrespectful to the country ways. Mm-hmm. And this film actually does that really well, I feel, because like the, there's always that, that trap you fall into of just like making fun of rural people for not being as hip and with it as the city people. And this mm-hmm. film definitely turns that on its head and it's, Pesci, who, and rightfully so, because Pesci's the one here out of his depth. Right. So he's the one making stupid mistakes and not fitting in. And it's not played as like, he's not fitting into these dumb backwards ways. He's just not fitting into these different ways. Um, Because none of the country people are really played as unintelligent. Right. Um, Which is 
great. I, I really yeah. liked that about this film. This film doesn't really look down on anyone. Yeah, you don't see that ever, right? Yeah. It's always the South being stupid. And don't get me wrong, there are some things here that I hate. Like, mm-hmm. But nonetheless, it's sort of like when you go anywhere else and people find out you're from Texas and they immediately ask you if you ride horses to school. And I'm like, yeah. no, I only ride my horse to the grocery store. Yeah. I have a funny <laughs> story still. about so when I was when I was ten and we moved to Texas from Massachusetts, um one of the things my parents told me to like make it okay that I was like moving away from all my friends and all that stuff was that well, we'll get a horse and you can ride a horse to school. Did they really tell you that? They did. And then I moved Well, what's your to, horse's uh, name? Well, I moved to the suburbs. <laughs> I moved to like the most suburban, sub- like planned community, the whole nine, like every house looks the same. Every school looks the same. Every person looks the same. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Fucking uh, like we were on the edge of nowhere. We were like, you know, the, the, you know, if you went past the suburb I lived, it was country. It was, you know, farms and uh-huh. no horses. Cause it was, you know, farms. And farms yeah, don't really out, use horses anymore. Horses are expensive and not very profitable. Yeah, you got to feed those fuckers and they get sick. Yeah, yep. <laughs> um, they have to get new shoes. They get new shoes more often than I do. Right. So, didn't get a horse. I was also promised a dog. Didn't get that. This isn't a movie about how I'm mad at my parents for not getting me a horse or a dog. Well, that'll be the next episode. I'm mad at your parents for not giving me a horse <laughs> or a dog. Yeah. <laughs> but... <laughs> I'm going to get like a toy horse for my parents in the, in the mail if they listen to this Hey, one. you know what? Better than ever. <laughs> um, so uh, we meet the judge. He's harsh. He demands respect. They, uh, Vinny, and, uh, Vinny and Mona Lisa go to their hotel, their motel, where they are waking up at 530 in the morning by the work whistle, the steam whistle mm-hmm. from the factory nearby, which is, you know, the fun. It sets up the running gag for the rest of the film. It's fantastic. They go to the local cafe to get some breakfast and there's a fun gag there where like very like, you know, we're not from around these parts, you know, kind of (laughs) fun stuff. They look at the menu and the menu is like breakfast or lunch or dinner. (laughs) (laughs) And we're introduced to grits, which like fantastic. Every that's one of the things I also love about this movie. Speaking of grits, Mm -hmm. every little scene that. In, a, in, a, in any other movie, it's just like a little character moment or a little throwaway joke. Mm-hmm. There are no just character moments in this film. There are no just throwaway jokes in this film. Everything has a purpose. You know, it's like you heard of Chekhov's gun. This is Chekhov's armory. <laughs> Chekhov's right? everything. Chekhov's everything. Grits. <laughs> I would everything buy that Everything in this grits. film comes around. <laughs> the mud in the tires comes around. The grits mm-hmm. comes around. Everything in this film. It's so efficient and well done and masterfully written. I cannot stop gushing about this film. They don't make movies like this anymore. Yeah, it's very well done. Very well written. Very well executed. Um, Can I tell you about the first time I ate grits? No. Okay, well, too bad I'm going to. (laughs) So uh, I was raised in the South, but my parents, I guess, were not originally from here. Anyway, grits were not a huge part of our life. 
But at one point, we were traveling somewhere, we were visiting friends, and I got really sick. Like, I had some sort of stomach bug. I was probably mm. seven or eight. And so my mom, this is this is the perfect story for this episode. My mom made me eat grits at a diner. Like, we went out to lunch, and I, of course, like, wanted something delicious looking, like a pancakes or something. But she mm. ordered me grits, and so I ate like half a bowl of grits. And if you've never had grits before, they're really good, but you kind of have to make them your own. Like my husband puts cheese and pepper and stuff like that in his grits. I'm more of a sweet grits person. Mm -hmm. So I like butter and maybe some brown sugar. But anyway, I didn't have any of that. It was just plain grits. And so I ate them, but I still wasn't feeling well. And for some reason after this, we we went to, um, do you? I think I do. I'm sorry. After this, we went to Walmart to get something. And so this was a rural town that, of course, had a Walmart. It was like the biggest store for, you know, 50 miles or something. And for some reason, there was some sort of petting zoo festival, (laughs) rural something or other in the parking lot. And so there was this huge, beautiful horse. And I have always loved animals. And so I immediately went up to the horse to pet him. And I was petting the horse and I threw up all over the horse. I wasn't on him. I just threw up on him. And then later, I think that same day, I actually was still sick. And I ended up throwing up all down the courthouse steps. So this is my story about me vomiting all over the rural South. (laughs) And grits even. And grits. Yeah. So it's like, it's like my, my internal you know, essence has just rejected all of this southernness. Oh <laughs> Take that horse. Take that criminal justice system. Oh, no. Take that grits. <laughs> so next, uh, we go to the arraignment for this film, which is another fun scene. One thing this film does really well, and it's actually really well known for in lawyer circles, is that this film represents the proceedings of a courtroom very accurately. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like every lawyer's favorite movie. For yeah. that reason, um, and I think it turns the out the American Bar Association has this as its third favorite movie. Yeah, it should be the first, but right? no, it's, <laughs> it's it's so well done. Uh, the, every bit of the process of it turns out that the director Jonathan Lynn um, actually has a law degree, which is awesome. <laughs> right, so it was really important to him that everything be like somewhat accurate. Oh, uh, it's super accurate, right? Yeah, even just prosecutorially it's used uh, to teach how to be a good prosecutor like the way he sets mm-hmm. up the the i'm sorry not the prosecutor def- defense yes defense yeah um anyway continue oh during yeah so like the uh just the way that does it is because like and the way they introduce with joe pesci's character like being the audience surrogate works so well because a lot of people just don't know all the courtroom rules and stuff. So Joe Pesci's right. character doesn't know the courtroom rules. So he has no idea of courtroom decorum. He's not in a suit. He sits when he talks to the judge. He's sitting on the on the table. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just so well done. And then when we meet the antagonist of the film, the district attorney, he's like the opposite of Vinny. Right. He's like buttoned up in a suit, got the briefcase. He's the third of his name. Yeah. Very like Southern gentleman type of character. Of course, Vinny uh, and the judge do not get along because of this scene, right? Like, they, they don't. Vinny's just so, he's so casual in this situation mm-hmm. that should be formal, and he's kind of a stickler for formality. And he also has a chip on his shoulder about the city boy thing. 
And Marissa Tomei reactions in this scene. Oh, it's so good because she sees him fucking up and like you just read it on her face. Every frame of Marissa Tomei in this film is just a masterclass and just like really good acting. And I <laughs> love really it. Uh-huh. I am I am here for it. She's great. She deserved that Oscar. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he fucks it all up. Yeah, he fucks it all up. He he gets in trouble with the judge. judge yeah, he gets, uh, he gets thrown in jail for contempt. Yeah. The first time. <laughs> yeah, the, this is the first time that that happens in this film. After the scene, we find out that Marissa got stiffed on when she was trying to hustle some pool to get some extra money for just for all There's the things they need. interim thing that I wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah. Go for it. So when he gets out and Marissa... I'm sorry, Mona Lisa Vito is going after him about how he's messing up and why is he messing up. He explains that normally when you go to law school, you learn all of the like sort of abstract law and that sort of thing in law school. And then you learn procedure during your like clerkships or your internship Mm -hmm. with your law firm afterwards. But he is the only lawyer in his entire circle is kind of what we're led to believe. Right. Like, yeah. He went to law school while he was working multiple jobs from that conversation, right? He was working at mm-hmm. Mona Lisa's dad's garage and he was doing something else. I can't remember what else he said and doing law school. And now he finally passed the bar after the bar, which is very hard to pass, right? Especially mm-hmm. because they were in New York. I think the New York bar is pretty, pretty hard. Um, I mean, they're all difficult, but so. It's a big deal, right? He's not a wealthy person and he's going up against yeah. a lot of wealth, right? Like they are in the South, but they're not rednecks. The judge is very well off. You can tell from how he comports himself. And so is the uh, the district attorney. And yep. so he literally has no money, right? They're staying in these terrible hotels. He came down here just as like, he's not getting paid for this either. He's just yeah. coming down here to save his cousin. Yeah. And so- I feel like this is a really important character um, setup because he is what you would expect the Southern character to be maybe where like down on his luck mm. and trying really hard to get to some sort of place of wealth and privilege, but he's not instead because so frequently you'll see someone coming from New York being wealthy and well-to-do and hoity-toity but he's just a dude from the bronx who worked two jobs and kind of thought law was cool and yeah Yeah, and and an italian-american at that which is like Mm -hmm. kind of got its own history of of poverty so uh, of of being like a lesser class which will be a light salt episode at some point because i (laughs) yeah we've moved we've moved past letting yeah, we've moved past letting white people be the bad guys in America, and now we're <laughs> firmly into if you're the wrong color. But it did used to be you could be the wrong kind of white, so. Um, yeah, so they, they are a little hard up for cash. We establish a lot of really good stuff um, about Vinny's history after that, after he gets bailed out by Marissa Tomei. Mm-hmm. Um, and we find out that Marissa got stiffed on on money she won hustling pool at the local bar. So we establish like a really fun B plot. Mm-hmm. That's really unimportant, but it's just a fun B plot, I think, where it, Vinny gets to be a tough guy. <laughs> 
and uh, yeah. try, try to get back the money. And there's like a fun, and it, it helps establish both Marissa and Vinny as very sharp individuals. Like they pick up on everything. I think it also helps add to the credence of what Bill, the cousin, said about the Gambinis, which is you've never mm-hmm. seen a Gambini in action. They will argue about everything. So we have Vinny, who became a lawyer, but even were he not a lawyer, I think we are meant to believe that he would argue to the end of time anyway. And that's one of the things that you see in his and Marissa's relationship. Oh, yeah. Which is so fun. Even- like and even later, like they that's how they flirt. Yeah. It's amazing. That whole scene where they're just yeah. they just like flirtily argue and she's yeah. defending herself against his his inquiries as if he's cross examining her was yeah. amazing. Oh my gosh. We'll get we'll get to that because that was just such a good scene. Um Oh, that's the next scene. Yeah. We're there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the faucet. Um it was they're fighting over a dripping faucet. Yep. And it's like, so they're laying are bed. you sure you close the faucet all the way? Like, oh, I'm sure. Yep. I used a torque wrench, it's dead on balls accurate. Yep. Yep. It goes, it takes, it takes at least two and a half minutes to get from, did you turn the faucet off to, yes, I'm absolutely sure because yeah. of all of these reasons. Yeah. Right. And, and it's really just them flirting. Yeah. And it's just them being ridiculous and flirting. Yeah. yeah. The scene ends with a kiss. It does. <laughs> And it's so good. Adorable. I think like, I feel like I've done this, maybe not to the exact argument, whatever, whatever, but you'll start off being mildly irritated at your partner. And then they'll say something super cute or whatever that dismantles your, your question. And you're like, all right, you and this one, I'm still right, but I'm not upset anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I adore my wife always. Uh, But I'm sure she might have a few stories about that. Oh, because wow. I can be a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> I have met you. Yeah. Of, yeah. of the, of the, of the two couples, I think we are both the pain in the asses of the couples. <laughs> I think that's a fair, I think it's a fair assessment. Um, yeah. we are, we are lovable, lovable pains in the asses. So we have to be, cause otherwise, <laughs> yeah, otherwise there's no saving us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they have such a good chemistry these two on the screen and she clearly cares a lot about him at some point. I think the third place they move to, uh, Oh, like the train is going through. And so Mm -hmm. Vinny has not gotten a night, a full night's sleep since he's gotten into town. But Marissa Tomei, as soon as the train wakes them up, she just starts laughing and laughing and laughing. And I just love it. That laughing in the face of absurdity, such a good character moment. Yep. And what I also love about the way they play every scene of them together is that they are very much equals, mm-hmm. right? Like, they, there's a lot of back and forth, but they both give and take mm-hmm. the shit. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, she starts reading his law book at some point. Yeah, yeah. Which, that, that's, yeah, that's when things get a little interesting. And it's like kind of part of their character arc together, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole movie, Mona Lisa is just like, how can I help? How can I help? I want to help. And Vinny's saying, no, you can't help me. I need to do this. You can't help right. me. I need to do this. And then, of course, at the end of the film, he needs her help. Mm-hmm. So it comes like they come full circle and he has a character arc and, it's, you know, it's good. Yeah. Um, so after the, the faucet flirting, we go to the pretrial where we establish like all the things that we need to, all the obstacles we need to overcome uh, to win the case. Right. 
We've got a witness that identifies um, the the two kids. Breakfast guy identifies car the car when he's making breakfast. And the judge decides that there's enough evidence for a trial. And uh, Vinny, of course, is still not dressed appropriately, so he gets contempt again. Contempt again. <laughs> yeah, and in fact, he was like, "Oh, you were serious when he get thrown got thrown in." Yeah. Jail for contempt for the <laughs> first time. Uh, so then they move to another hotel. Um, and then it's when we wake up to, to pigs being slaughtered. Oh, I forgot about that part. Oof. Yeah. So Vinny's having doubts. Oh, no. <laughs> um, One of the defendants is having doubts, too, right? They yeah, bring in Stan, a public defender. Stan wants to go with the public defender. And then Vinny convinces his cousin to like at least give him a shot with like a wonderful kind of like metaphor about bricks and cards, and you kind of see. And there's another scene where we get to see how sharp Vinny is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as an individual. Like he might be, you know, rough and blue and whatever, but he's he's sharp. Well, no, Vinny's the one who does the card thing. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. To Marissa. Yeah, Vinny, oh, but yeah. Bill doesn't convince. Vinny doesn't Bill- convince Stan. Bill convinces Stan. Stan still goes with the public defender, but like when Vinny talks to Bill about the cards and the bricks, oh, that's when Bill yes, decides to okay. keep his cousin. Sorry, for on, some reason though, I thought yeah. that happened to Marissa. You're absolutely right. No, so like yeah, Bill Bill wants to also go with the public defender, but Vinny convinces him with with the speech about bricks and right. cards, and so they decide. So they both are on are going to be there for the trial. Both and the public I think the important and- thing is the the crux of Vinny's argument about why he will not lose is because he knows Bill is innocent, right? He's yeah. like, you didn't do this, so whatever evidence they have against you is not real, right? Which now- so- nowadays we'd find that idea naive and laughable. Yes. Maybe, but I I enjoyed I enjoyed it in this movie. So yeah, but the idea that you can't go to jail or get fried if you're innocent just because you're innocent is, is well, absolutely naive. I didn't take it like that. I took it as he's he's confident that he can see any bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. And he can dismantle anything that's not real. Yeah. And yeah. because he knows that he's innocent, he knows that none of it is real, right? Yeah. So I guess, but that that is fair. Yeah. Like, that, if you made this film today, I think there are a lot of things that would be different, and it probably wouldn't be as good a movie. So don't, yeah. don't make this film today. Yeah. <laughs> There's just too much baggage, I think, when you're dealing with the criminal justice system and two people who are wrongfully <laughs> accused of something. like. Don't do that. Don't make that movie. Unless right you're going to do a really, 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 really fucking brutal and good job. Yeah. But it just wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a funny movie. It's going to be crushing. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be the green mile, which yeah. I cry at every time. Yeah. Every single time. Which we'll have to cover that movie. Cause that movie has issues, <sighs> but <laughs> um. After this, like, you know, stuff happens. We we go back to the B-plot for a second, where we see the roll of $200. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, how do I know that's not a bunch of ones with a 20 wrapped around it? Yeah. Now, the one thing I find funny about this is, like, the roll of, of money is, like, comically large. Mm-hmm. Which like, means it is a roll of right. ones with a 20 wrapped around it. I mean, it. that would be the only way that that roll could be $200, because, right. like... $200 That's does a huge, not take up that much room. It's, it's 10 $20 bills. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, mm-hmm. that's not going to make a huge roll. Or 20 $10 bills, which still is not a huge roll. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's just a little, it's, it's, it sells the message. It's, it's good. It's good, like, stagecraft, kind of. Right? Like, yeah. this is the message. It's money. He's trying to get money. That's all you need to know. 
Yeah. Also, he dismantles the guy by arguing with him in the first the first mm-hmm. scene when he goes yeah. in. He he like establishes the rules. He says, "Okay, I will fight you to get this two hundred dollars, but only if you show me the two hundred dollars, and yeah. then we can do it." <laughs> so then he shows up with a roll of money. He's like, "Well, fan it out, fan out the money. I want to make sure." So again, Vinny's beating him with his wits. Yes. And the guy doesn't do it, which probably means he didn't have two hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, we get the the another you know morning train gag at another hotel, mm-hmm. um, and then he's talking to the prosecutor. He meets up with the prosecutor, mm-hmm. where we learn about uh, what made Vinny a lawyer. Yeah, um, and he meets. He talks about uh, a, a, like a mentor figure, Judge Malloy, who was a Brooklyn boy like him. And like the fact that this other Brooklyn kid could become a lawyer inspired Vinny to become a lawyer because it like, yeah. is what it kind of goes back to what we've talked about before. Representation matters, and it I think does. this is a really good like, hey, look, even like this poor Brooklyn kid, even he can be, even he can be a lawyer. So um, I just thought that was a nice little moment. You know? It was also like Vinny went there for a parking ticket and came away with a dream and a career, which is really yeah. cool because. Other than that, he probably just would have still been a mechanic, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is not a bad thing. Like, mechanics are awesome. It's just he wanted something different and a window was opened to him. Also, like, the the mindset at the time kind of, like, really, they really looked down on blue-collar work um, in the 90s. I mean, even, like, us growing up, what was the one thing? Go to fucking college. Yeah, go to college. Get a real job. Like you're going to flip burgers or whatever. Like blue-collar jobs were... What are you going to do? Weld? Oh my God, yeah. I wish I had you're been a, be a welder. Plumber, they make know? so much money. They make more yeah. money than I do. Tradies right now are making the killing. They're also working like eight hours a week, so... Yeah. <laughs> it's like one of those things. It's like they're making a killing, but they're also working 80 hours a week because they got there's more work than labor, which I do not. I do not envy the 80-hour weeks. So we find out that like Vinny's trying to like sweet-talk the prosecutor into giving him all the court files <laughs> and then he's arguing with marissa tomei about it who's like what you're gonna go hunting you're gonna kill poor little dia and like they have a whole bit about that which is hilarious it is and hilarious. then also marissa tomei tells him it's disclosure he has to give you everything yeah that's after so after he goes out hunting with the guy he comes back and like look i got all the files see i told you i was doing this for a reason and then this is where marissa tomei gets like the one up on Vinny because like I thought he that has to do that. No, it the was after the hunting comes hun- after. No, they went hunting, and then he comes back with the box of of information, and and uh, Mona Lisa goes because he's like so proud of it, and Lisa's like, "You want to know why he gave you all his files? Because he has to. It's disclosure." <laughs> I should, yeah, <laughs> I should probably stop doing access. It's just so fun. <laughs> You're so this good is at so it. Fun. Um. But yeah, she was reading his law book, and so she's like, yeah, it was disclosure. He has to do that. Yeah, he has to do that, you idiot. <laughs> and then we set up another another threat um, after this, where the judge confronts Vinny that there's no Gambini that's ever practiced law uh, in the state of New York. Right, because the judge is checking in on him. Yeah. And that's when uh, uh, Vinny goes, well, uh, well no, because that's like, I, I had my name legally changed for a stage name. My name's actually, you know, Jerry Gallo, who's like a famous lawyer. <laughs> yeah, who's a famous lawyer in New York. And apparent, who had apparently died a week before. 
Yeah. Which Marissa Tomei, Which Marissa Tomei knew. Again, one ups Finney is like, you're an idiot. He's been <laughs> like, in the papers because he died. <laughs> yeah. And that's when we get the screeching owl scene. Which wakes ah, up, which so yeah, scene. the prosecutor. So the prosecutor and Vinny actually do have a friendship. Like I know Vinny was like, oh, he gave me this stuff because he likes me. But like they do actually have a yeah. friendship because the prosecutor lets Vinny stay in his cabin in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're professional adversaries, but they're not like they don't hate each other because. Yeah. Unlike every other law movie ever. Right. That's <laughs> like, that's movie logic. Like, why? Like, these people hate each other. It's like, no, they're, they're both professionals. Like, yeah. yeah, the prosecutor probably thinks he's better than Vinny because he's well-dressed and he knows decorum and all this other stuff. But he's not like, you know, he's not necessarily a bad dude. Right. Also, it's important to note that the prosecutor wants justice done. Like, he's actually yeah. a good prosecutor. He just cares that this happens right he doesn't have yeah. anything against the defendants. There's never any like vitriol or anything about no. the defendants. He's he's yeah. a consummate professional. Yeah. Of course, he also does have like this a slight compet- competitive streak within him. Like he wants to win. The prosecutor does. Right. right. So, but it's it's one of those things where it's like seems like a minor character flaw that does not get in the way. Yeah. Like you don't um, really go into law and become a prosecutor if you don't enjoy winning, but I don't think he yeah. wants to win at all costs. Like a lot of times yeah. it's displayed in media. So ultimately he still sees himself as a tool of the courts and not a vigilante. Yeah. We start to see like the stress start to get to Vinny. He starts fighting with Marissa about the outcome of the case. He's getting really mm-hmm. stressed. The screeching owl means they can't go sleep in the car. Yeah. At which point, then the car gets stuck in the mud, which ends up with his suit that he has getting stuck in the mud. Yeah, because Marissa Tomei cleaned it, and so it was in the yeah. trunk, and he took it out and jumped it into the mud accidentally. Yeah, puts him in a bad mood. B-plot, $200 guy shows up, and immediately, Vinny just beats him up and takes these $200. Yeah, because he's even like, a bad it's just like one hit, and he drops him on the ground, and then he takes yeah. the money, and he walks off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then he shows up to court in a secondhand suit that looks ridiculous. Yeah, he looks like if a little kid wanted to dress up to play piano. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> or like a magician. <laughs> like yes, a really bad a birthday magician. <laughs> it's like a weird, like, dark pinkish color. Yeah, it's like a maroon pink kind of. Yeah, what I yeah. do like is when he shows up like this and the judge says, are you mocking me? He goes, no. And he explains the whole situation. <laughs> yeah. He's like, there is nowhere in this town to buy a suit. <laughs> the cleaners are all sick with the flu. I went to a secondhand shop. This was all I could get. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I wore this ridiculous thing for you. Yep. <laughs> And the judge doesn't say anything after that. So. Yeah. We run into Grits, Grits guy. We get uh, oh yeah, Grits guy comes up onto the stand. So yeah. this man says that there were only the the kids were only in the store five minutes, and he knows because he was making breakfast. Yep, and they and of course uh, Vinny dismantles Grits guy's testimony. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget why he's in contempt again with the judge. I think he used maybe poor language, foul language. Yes, that sounds right. But it, then he goes to, to jail to sleep. But I think because he had that win in court, mm-hmm. he sleeps like a baby during a prison riot. Yeah, I also think maybe it's the change in sound and not just mm-hmm. the presence of sound, right? Like you're deep asleep because it's quiet yeah. and then something's loud, but instead yeah. everything's loud. So he just he sleeps through the night finally in prison. Yeah, well, I also think it was... Um, 
you know, maybe it wasn't the noise that was the problem. It was his stress. Oh, yeah. Right? That's a good point. So because he was able to get that win, mm-hmm. it, 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 uh, it calmed him down enough that he could sleep. He, he has some confidence back. Mm-hmm. He's getting past his dark night of the soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it wasn't just the Grits guy that he wanted. It was like he dismantled all the prosecution's testimonies. Right, because there was like the older woman who couldn't see very well, but yeah. thought that she could. And the guy who had to look through all the trees and bushes and leaves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah Eyewitness was- testimony is such a weak evidentiary. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. Anyway. I've, I've actually experienced it myself. Really? Um, I was on a set uh, working and uh, on, at the end of the day, we're all packing up our stuff and ready to go down. And like at a, in a parking lot, like kind of across the way, I saw some dudes breaking into another guy's car and the whole film crew starts charging these guys. Wow. Like, we've got C stands and like everything. <laughs> we're just like, Hey, what are you doing? Stop that. And then, so those guys, like they take off, they, they get in their own car and they drive off. And when the cops come, they were asking for everyone to give testimony. And I gave mine and I was wrong on everything. Yeah. I was wrong on what car they were driving. I was wrong on what they looked like. I was wrong on everything because that wasn't the thing I was paying attention. Those weren't the things I was paying attention to in those moments. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. I was like, just trying, Hey, there's some people doing, doing bad. I've got a, we've got a crew of guys here. You know, let's get them to not do the bad thing. (laughs) Good job. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The human, uh, the human memory is very flawed and very prone to, um, influence and yeah, it's very flawed the fact that we use this as testimony to put people away mm-hmm. is horrifying yeah because you can convince anyone of anything i definitely look at my own testimony as suspect now whenever i, I think of anything because it's like i have that experience like i i know through video evidence that some of the other crew members got that i was i was wrong so i need to be very aware of that you yeah. know there's nothing more dangerous than a person who absolutely thinks they're right and flawless and who is definitely wrong. Yeah. You know? So it, it, it's at that point after that, some point after that, we, we have a kind of like a, Vinny gets a call from the prosecutor that he's got kind of like a surprise witness coming. who's a vehicle expert and uh, Vinny's got to be prepared or, or he's kind of warns Vinny. He's like, Hey, your, your case is about to fall apart. And then on top of that, the judge is onto him. The judge oh, calls yeah. him up. He's like, "Hey, uh, you know, I'm about to. I've, I've, I've got, I've got a line with the county clerk's office in or in New York, and uh, you know, they're going to get back to me. And so you've got 90 minutes to win this case. So like mm-hmm. everything just like ratchets up. Yeah, it's like, oh god, this is this is happening. <laughs> yeah, this is the act three. This is we're getting to the end. So Vinny's just like freaking out. They have a he has a bad fight." with mona lisa and so she's like okay that's it i'm out of here i'm done with you yeah basically because she's saying how can i help and he says you cannot help me right and then Mm -hmm. he's making fun of all the pictures that she took she's she's been taking pictures this whole time right just of random stuff and of him kind of as a tourist yeah and she doesn't really have anything else to do she's just kind of down here with him to support him and so you know, he's like looking at all the pictures she took. And to, to her credit, she took pictures of some stuff that becomes important. So, yeah, actually, it's the key to the whole case. Yep. Um, and of course, Finney realizes that afterwards, after she's run off, he's looking at the pictures. And he's like, wait a fucking I'm an idiot. Minute. Yeah. 
So like the whole movie, Vinny's been denying uh, Rizzotome's help, and now he needs it. So in his stroke of genius, like he he tries to scramble to get everything together. Mm-hmm. And then there's like this other scene that like I'm I'm not sure how I feel about it. Like it it works with these two characters, I think. I but, don't think it does, but yeah, it's I a go little, back and forth. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like I don't that either. it happened this way. Mm-mm. But you know, Marissa Tomei is or Mona Lisa is trying to leave the court and go home or whatever she's leaving. Mm-hmm. But Vinny needs her testimony. And yeah, he interrupts he, her while she's on the phone, presumably yeah. making plans to leave mm-hmm. on the payphone. Right. Yeah. And so she won't talk to him and he's, you know, not doing a good job, you know, listening to her and getting her attention. He only has three minutes, right? Like yeah. the, the judge has given him a three minute recess, which is yeah. not very long. So it gets to a point where he literally manhandles her and like just picks her up and takes her into the courtroom. And I was like, eh. Yeah, he like that's a bit, eh. physically forces her to go yeah. into the courtroom and then the bailiffs keep her there. Yeah. And yeah, wasn't cool. It's not yeah. cool to use physical force to make anyone do anything. Yeah, it was a little weird. Uh, I, I didn't love it. I did not either, especially because it feels like a departure from their relationship up to this point. Yeah, where he treats her like an equal, and I know that the reason he's doing it is literally to save these boys' lives. Yeah. And that's maybe the only thing that justifies it. But I feel like he could have done that a different way. He could have appealed to her sense of that and said, hey, I need you because you will save them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's all it's all a little weird. And it's like it, feel, it falls into the 90s chasm of what's OK to do to women. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, you know, if there's somewhere you don't want them to be, you just pick them up and you put them back down where <laughs> they need to be. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> Is that, is that what I'm oh, supposed to do? Cool. No, <laughs> okay. don't, don't do that. If you- I've been getting that wrong for been getting that wrong for 30 <laughs> years. Um, I think if you try to pick up Dreedy, she'll put you in your place. Oh, so. in, a, in a heartbeat. Yeah. As she should. Yes. And then we get the, just the climactic scene of the movie, which is just which so, is so goddamn good. satisfying. It's so uh, satisfying to watch Marissa Tomei own everybody in that courtroom. I know the payoff. Watch this entire movie just for the payoff. So goddamn good. Yeah. And she's a hundred percent herself. She never becomes anything that's not herself. She just, she just is. Mm-hmm. It's so good. And and she just does some of her best character acting in the whole film. Mm-hmm. And like the, the energy that Marissa brought brings to this character in this scene is just like it's that giddy excitement when she realizes she's cracked it. Mm-hmm. And she is smart and she knows something and she's like, Oh yeah, I'm right. Yeah, about it just this. sells so well. Yep. Also, I think that part of it is that she's also gotten the chance to realize that she's being witnessed by Vinny. Right. Mm-hmm. He, he brought her in. He could have, done this like he figures it out too mm-hmm. but he doesn't do the saying he brings her in as a witness yeah because she is the expert and he is not yes and he acknowledges this and brings her yep. in and finally in a very very public way asks for her help which has melted her yep. whatever because at some point he's like can i treat her as a hostile witness oh this is another thing and she's <laughs> like oh the judge is like oh do you do you know each other 
which is dumb because he's seen her with him every time they're in the courtroom together, but whatever. And Vinny goes, yeah, she's my fiance. And the judge says, oh, that makes sense. And like that explains just, the hostility. <laughs> yeah. And I will just take a second, just one small second to say, I absolutely hate the weird heteronormative jokes about spouses or partners hating each other. Oh, you don't yeah. have no, to be with anybody. Right. right? Super boomer. Right. Yeah. Like if you don't like a person, don't marry them. And if you do marry them and you don't like them, stop being married to them and leave the rest of us out of it. Yeah. You know? I, I, I feel like that joke was more about how like the judge doesn't like Vinny. Right. I mean, that is fair. That is a takeaway. Right. He's sitting there like, oh man, yeah, I get that. If I had to deal with Vinny all the time, I'd be pretty hostile too. <laughs> that would be, that would be a better reason. But like, That, that just was how the, I read that scene. But That makes me like it more. Yeah, I can see that. I just hate the ah the ball and chain nonsense. I'm like, oh, you know yeah. what? Yeah, that stuff's no. awful. You know who I love? My partners, all of them, and <laughs> my husband, who I've been with for I don't know, 16 million years. It feels like, and he's great, you know. And mm-hmm. if he and he likes me, and it's nice. We've been like he'll have coworkers, especially at his last job where literally I couldn't go out to any of the things they were doing. Cause they used work outings as an excuse to get away from their spouses. None of them liked Ugh. the people they were with. And I was like, that sounds that's horrible. Why would <laughs> you do like, that to yourself? Right? I know. Like, why Aaron's you... like my best friend. I want to be around him all the time. Mm. It's just so good at the end there where Vinny's like, even like doesn't even lead Mona Lisa through no. the argument he sits he down. just like you're smart enough i trust you implicitly i love you i see the value in you i'm gonna let you do your thing because mm-hmm. you are brilliant and i worship the ground you walk on right like yep. not enough but i'll get there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yep. it's so good it's so it goddamn is. good and then he sits down and he's like watch this <laughs> yeah because <laughs> so he's just so proud of her yeah. And she fucking takes him apart, right? Like yeah. the, uh, and, and the way that she says pause attraction just lives in my brain rent-free. So Right? I don't know enough about cars, but I was like, Marissa, take me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, uh, Marissa Tomei's father is a trial lawyer. Really? Or was a trial lawyer. That's cool. I, I, I didn't look up enough to know the full history of it, but mm. Marissa Tomei's father was a trial lawyer. So that's that interesting. She's cool. a, just a uniquely great fit for this film. Yeah. Can you imagine if they had taken her character out, how horrible this movie would have been? It would have been nothing but dudes. Yeah. The, 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 the relationship, which, of course, this film doesn't pass the Bechdel test. The relationship of Vinny and Mona Lisa makes this movie. It's the, it's the heart of the film. It really is. But yeah, at the end, she uses some um, very specific car knowledge to basically prove that the tracks that were left by the the car that was fleeing the scene of the murder could not have been their car. Yeah. Because of car reasons. <laughs> because car reasons. Yeah. <laughs> Something about axles and suspension yeah. and watch the movie. traction. Watch, watch the, the movie. movie. Just go watch the movie. It's great. But it's fantastic. She, no salt. She does it twice because the first time she does it, she's just trying to prove that she's an expert. And right. the, the prosecutor asks her a question. And at first, it sounds like she doesn't know. 
Because right. she says, I can't answer that question. And they're like, why can't you answer that question? And she's like, because it's a trick. There's no way. Blah, blah, no, blah, 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 blah. And she yeah. answers the question by not Chevy answering Chevy didn't make it. this stuff. But if Chevy did make this thing when he did it in, in the other year that they did it, mm-hmm. it would have been four degrees tap dead center. It was just Whatever like, that oh, means. chills. Yeah, I didn't know yeah. fucking. <laughs> but it sounded great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, it was enough to prove, uh, you know. Prosecutor, it's Voidier. Is that what it's called? Voidier. Voidier. Which, and to the to the prosecution's credit in this film, of course, proving that like our our antagonist isn't necessarily like a super bad dude. In light of the new evidence and the and the stuff, he drops charges, or he's like, you know, the state would like to drop charges. The judge Um, doesn't do anything about it. It's just him doing the right thing, right? He's like, oh, you're right. These aren't the ones, and. I mean, I feel bad because we never actually know what happens about the actual murder, right? So, well, we did we did find out that the the two people who did do it were apprehended in a different state. Oh yeah, okay, that's yeah. true. I forgot about which that. which was that kind of thrown in at the end. I feel like that feels like a producer note, like, hey, whatever happened to the real murder? We, we got to solve the real murder. This yeah. is a movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the important part. The important part yeah. is not these people being. Yeah. Dead. It's a real afterthought. Like it's sitting <laughs> it there like, really oh, is. the cop shows up. And is like, oh, by the way, in Georgia, we found some guys and they've got a 357 Magnum. Hey, that's handy. So this is a good movie. Great I, movie. I have very little salt about this. Yeah, I was, I was, I, th- I didn't think it had aged poorly because it was still pretty good in my memory just from watching it so many times as a child. But I was really happy to find out that. Yes, this movie aged okay. And yep. it's, it's, they don't, I was saying earlier, they don't make movies like this anymore. Mm-hmm. And what I mean, what I really mean by that is that nowadays movies, especially budget movies by any major studio, are so much more about brands mm. and, and corporate identities, um, which isn't always a bad thing. But what it does mean is that you don't get a lot of these great character movies, which are just like people talking to each other. Like my cousin Vinny, that really gives like actors room to act and like Mm -hmm. you get to really see their skills on display. Nowadays, actors are more like brands. You know, you got your Chris Pratt's, you got your, your, uh, you got your Christopher Walken's or whatever. Like these brands, well, Christopher Walken's got a history of good acting. But like, you know, everything, you've got these brands, like especially like Marvel movies and anything Mm -hmm. Disney puts out nowadays. Actors yep. are more of a brand than they are actors. It's not so much about the craft of acting so much as it is the craft of PR. Yeah, the craft of being attractive. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, all, like all the Chris's, Chris Evans, Chris and Pratt. And flashiness. <laughs> like, this was yeah. not a flashy movie. The yeah. flashiest thing in this movie was the uh, one, the, the bodysuit that Marissa Tomei was wearing in the final yeah. scene. Which she's fabulous. Oh, the, all the wardrobe. Uh, so good. But yeah, it's you're right. It's largely a story about people interacting in everyday systems. There are no yep. cars that explode. There are no yep. superheroes. It's yep. just people. And that doesn't, I guess. I think the last film I saw that was a really good example of this, actually, you know, to, to disprove my own point that you don't get films like this anymore, is uh, Knives Out. I was just going to say that. I literally was queuing that up in my mind because I was like, oh my gosh, I wonder if Matt's going to say Knives Out because it's so good. And it's a very similar thing where where actors get to act. Like even some of these brand actors come in and they actually do the craft of acting, you know, which is always fun to watch. Watching Daniel Craig 
with his accent. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh my god! I will watch that movie anytime, oh anytime. Someone yeah. come over right now and watch that movie yeah. with me because. And, and I don't so even good. love. I don't even love Ryan Johnson's other films, but like *Knives Out* is just an excellent movie. He, like everyone you know? in that movie acts their parts so well, and mm-hmm. it's so engaging. The writing's that, solid. The writing's really solid in that film. I don't think it's as well, good as, like, it's not as good as My Cousin Vinny. <laughs> I think the fact that we know what happens so early, but it doesn't matter, speaks to the fact that it's such a good, well-written movie, right? Yes. Out. Yeah. Because... It doesn't hide know. anything from you. It doesn't pull any twists on you. Nope. Everything is there from the very beginning. Uh, well... Not very, very beginning, but almost the very beginning. Yeah, you're right. Because, mm. like, the mystery is kept from the other characters. It's not kept from us. And we just get to watch things unfold, which is really yeah. cool. So, yeah, watch watch My Cousin Vinny. Yeah. It's a good movie. I, I couldn't find it streaming anywhere uh, I had on any it. services. So, yeah. yeah, I got it from the library because paid nobody... paid Amazon $4. I'm so sorry. Hey, no, that works. Um, I, I just love Blu-rays from the library because no one gets movies anymore they all stream it so right there's a really always a really good selection of like blu-rays available yeah i keep needing to go to the library and get a physical library card but oh COVID, yeah it's important it is yeah um i had a digital one for a while but they won't let you rent any like actual yeah. stuff out until you have the physical one and so I'm oh, like, ah, that's a bummer yeah you, you should go, go physically that. into a library you should do <laughs> so. that because well here's the thing about the libraries is that it's easy to social distance because no one goes to the library anymore that is true. Like, I went to the last time I went to the library, I was like one of three people there and two of them were on computers. Right. Wow. And so I was just like wandering the shelves, getting the things I wanted to get. Of course, this was like my local branch. It wasn't like the main library branch, which usually has a lot of uh, people there taking advantage yeah, of the services. I do like that library. But, I mean, it's not really pretty from the outside, but it's a cool library. Yeah. Downtown Dallas library. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. Um, uh, the libraries are such an interesting institution. Like, I feel like if someone suggested that we make libraries now, they'd be laughed out of the room. Yeah. Right. Like, here, stick with me. Let's make bookstores that are free. Yeah. We'll let people take things and promise to bring them back and it'll be fine. You know, you know, it would not fit our podcast at all. Maybe every once in a while we could do like a light salt that has nothing to do with anything. Uh, we make the rules. Yeah. Because there's actually like a, there's a history to that, to public libraries. It involves Ooh. a lot of very interesting twists and turns. Maybe we can bring my wife on to talk about it. <gasps> I would love that so much. That is kind of within her wheelhouse. So, oh yeah, that's true. Corporate uh, stuff. Well, well, yeah. Sure. Her her PhD is in um, public policy. That's so cool. Um, God, your wife is so awesome. She, uh, yeah. Yeah, she's, she's also rocks. our biggest fan, which is my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's amazing. She's, you know, she got her PhD recently. I don't know how much I'm, I'm actually allowed to say about what she's got going on. That's totally fair. I'm but lucky to have known her since things. I was 16. So. Big things. Yeah, right now she's looking at, you know, maybe publishing some research and she's kicking butt at her job. She's just awesome. She's the coolest. Oh, she's also like teaching classes at, 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 at the university. I so, wish like, I could do one third of the things that she does. Me oh. too. God. <laughs> like, can I just take like 
a strand of hair and somehow <laughs> get some of that. I think science um, would have to come out with a new form of cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> just to get just, me to where she's at naturally. Right. I'm just completely in awe of her. Yeah. Um Yeah. So if we're gonna do we'd have to like come up with a new segment name, which is something totally unrelated that's not yeah. light salt. Right. It'll be like, all right, here's our salt. mustard episode. Miss Salinity. <laughs> Miss It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you're bad and you should feel bad <laughs> good yeah no that's that's accurate yeah um, anyway, anyway this was great this is a great movie thank you for sharing it with me yeah i'm so glad i got to revisit this film and actually see the whole movie from beginning to end for the first time without commercial breaks <laughs> that's hilarious mm. the tuna oh so good uh, all right well that will do it for this week on medium salt Thank you for stopping by, and if you like today's episode, you can find more of us at MediumSalt.com or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please give us a shout-out, share us with your friends, you know I really appreciate the hell out of it, and I appreciate the hell out of you, and I appreciate the hell out of you, Kate. I appreciate the hell out of you back, Matt. So go out there, have a great week, and remember, stay, stay salty. salty.